Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 134, and this is another replay. And I asked the Facebook group to vote for which episode they would like to have replayed. And this episode got double the votes of the next nearest episode. I wasn't sure whether to replay this one as it's not really an interview. But then I had two thoughts. One, this one is the one that got the most votes. And two, it's quite appropriate for me having spent the last 10 days being off plan on holiday and definitely not on keto. I called my business Fabulously Keto and the podcast has the same name because I use keto and I think it is fabulous and it has been fabulous for me. I don't think everybody has to be as strict as keto, but the benefits of keto are very appealing. When I'm working with clients, I let them decide how low they want to go on the carbs, especially at the beginning, because I want them to find a way that works for them. Quite often, they will, over time, lower the carbs themselves and get the benefits of keto. And some of my clients just decide to go very low carb straight away. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the recap. Welcome to episode number two, What is Keto? And what we wanted to do in this episode is to have it as a standalone episode so that we can easily refer to or provide you with an overview of what is keto. And you might like to refer people to this episode, friends or family who are thinking about starting, are not sure about it, curious to know more about low carb and the keto way of eating. We're not going to get into the nitty gritty or into the dark and the trenches. We wanted this just to be a short episode that you will have an understanding about the what's, the how's, the why's, and maybe just a few little tips and tricks really to get you started on your keto journey. So we're going to start with the what. So what is low carb or keto? And in a nutshell, So as we used to say, like in the classroom, in the KISS, we're going to keep it simple, is really to be able to describe low-carb keto as three things. We're going to limit our carbohydrate intake. We're going to keep our protein moderate in order to maintain our muscle mass. And we're going to eat fat until we feel full or feel satiated. So you'll often hear, we're going to eat fat until satiety. So... If you've ever played Cards Against Humanity, you know that fun game, or you're familiar with Japanese short poetry called a haiku, I remember hearing on a podcast that in a Japanese haiku format, thanks to Richard Morris on Two Keto Dudes, keto explained as a haiku, when hungry, eat mostly fat with some protein, stop when you're full. That's it in a nutshell. Hmm. But Jackie, we've got the what. What is the how and the why does keto work? Okay, so by reducing carbohydrates, your body switches fuel source from glucose to fat. And typically we need to reduce our carbohydrates down to 20 to 50 grams of carbohydrates a day. And we've been taught that our body needs glucose. And this is true. But our body's metabolism is clever in that it's a dual fuel engine. Um, 
yeah, I like to refer it, and I know you do as well, um, as a Prius car. So it can run on both glucose and fat. So what we're doing on a low-carb keto way of eating is switching the main source from glucose to fat. And our body can create its own glucose. So we don't actually need to eat any ourselves. If I mean, obviously we do. We, no, let me say that again. We do eat um, glucose, but we don't need to eat any. So by limiting your carbohydrates, your body then goes into a state of ketosis or what we call keto for short. So our bodies seem like it's really cleverly engineered, you know, just as you're using that metaphor of the Prius. But in actual fact, our bodies actually do store glucose and that's, you know, very cleverly done in the liver. And when you're primarily using glucose as your primary fuel, you'll notice that you'll get hangry within two hours because you've drawn down on those glucose stores. But that's not what happens when we're switching over our fuel source to fat. You know, I don't know about you, Jackie, but I have a lot of fat still on my body. I've still got more than two hours of, you know, fuel ready to go. I have plenty too. But it's really... And it's really good that obviously when we have reduced our carbohydrate intake, our liver kicks in. It's able to switch from obviously drawing on that glucose we have stored to be able to draw upon our, you know, that Krispy Kreme that we ate 10 years ago um, into um, into glucose. Mine's the dairy milk and the fruit and nut. <laughs> so... There are many benefits to obviously switching the fuel sources, you know, and we'll talk about what those benefits are. So our body is in this state of nutritional therapeutic ketosis, but it's not ketoacidosis. So we're aiming for a nutritional level of ketosis, and that's by the authors um, Finney and Volick, who sort of tell us that there's a certain therapeutic range. Unlike the type 1 diabetic condition, which is a dangerous medical condition where the ketone levels or the levels to which is beyond that therapeutic level that we strive to do by limiting our carbohydrates. And I think we need to stress that's mostly for type 1 diabetics who don't produce the insulin themselves to keep those ketones down. So what we understand is that there are different levels of reducing your carbohydrates. You know, you can be guaranteed to get into this nutritional ketosis stage by limiting your carbohydrates to 20 grams. But if that's too onerous or too strict for you, then there is a spectrum. So some people on one end are lower, they lower their carbohydrates, which is really good, to the 50 grams. To our friends on the other spectrum which is carnivore so they call that a a zero carb um, way of eating so whether you are at one end of the spectrum of lowering your carbs in the middle range of keto or carnivore it just is a matter of how many carbohydrates suits you your way of eating your lifestyle and obviously how metabolically deranged you are yeah i think it's fair to say that the longer we've been overweight, eating the wrong foods, the more damage we've done to our bodies, the longer it's going to take and the harder we've got to work to, to get it back to the place where it wants to be. And there are certain nuances, I suppose, people that we know in the in the community that have found and tried and experimented with, obviously, the spectrum of different ways of eating that has suited them and their conditions, such as mental health, um, there's some keto gurus that advocate carnivore for mental health, for instance. Um, there are other keto people that obviously have a prescription for autoimmune conditions such as um, MS. So it really is nuanced yep. to that. So what we're going to do now is step through what are the three main components of these macronutrients. So let's define first what is a carbohydrate. So carbohydrate is anything that when eaten will break down into a simple sugar um, or what we consider glucose. And glucose comes in many forms. In fact, you can find over 50 different names for sugars on your 
processed food labels. I think I've got a list of 53 um, different names for sugars. So there's many different sneaky sugars out there on those nutritional labels. Yeah, and they seem to put it in absolutely everything from even if you're buying some cooked chicken in the supermarket, it's got sugar in it. So why does this matter, Louise? Well, when we're looking at, as we sort of mentioned, about being metabolically deranged and it really comes from the fact that we have overconsumed these sneaky sugars or glucose. Our body recognizes that. And then what it does in response to that is as the responsive hormone, insulin, explains why we get fat. And there's a really good book people will refer to, Gary Taub's Why We Get Fat. And that's because of the relationship between glucose and insulin. And insulin is the body's storage fat hormone. When glucose is high, then insulin will want to store that glucose as excess fat. And what we have is a bit of a chicken and the egg. So depending on which keto guru you like to listen to, whether it's really this tension out there, it's a cause or effect. Having high glucose means we have high insulin. Or in actual fact, it may be a little bit nuanced than that. Having a high insulin causes us to gain the weight. Mm. So there's, there's chicken and the egg. But for this beginner's guide, we're just going to assume that the relationship between insulin and glucose, and we're going to have weight gain. Yeah. So what we're going to be doing in order to reverse this, to interrupt this, is we're going to limit carbohydrate. So in the end, we're wanting to achieve a reduction in blood sugar and insulin levels. And we want to challenge the old way of thinking of calories in and calories out, often referred to as CICO, Kiko, um, is how we gain or lose weight. And rather that this way of eating adopts the belief of the carbohydrate insulin model is how we gain weight. The thing is that we're challenged by the fact that we have to have glucose for our brains. We have to have carbs. That there is this belief that if you don't have carbs, you're going to die, Jackie. You must have that potato, rice, pasta and those healthy whole yeah, grains. But it's interesting that it's only in the last 40 years that we've needed it so much. But Jackie, is there an essential carbohydrate? No. So um, when we speak about essential, that means... Our body has to have it. We have to eat it. We can't make it ourselves. So there we have essential amino acids, which come from proteins. We have essential fat, lipid, fatty acids, actually, which come from fats. And we have to eat those. We have to get them from the outside. But there's no essential carbohydrate. So your body being dual fuel is able to make all the necessary glucose that it needs. Oh, that clever liver. I must respect it a little bit more and stop drinking and respect it a little bit more. So we have no essential carbohydrates, but you've mentioned that we must be able to have external sources of amino acids. So why are these amino acids, obviously in the form of protein, important? Well, they're our building blocks for the body and needed for cell repair. That's what we need the um, amino acids for. And, you know, I think it's important to recognize what, which are good sources of protein and which are the slightly lesser sources of protein that we come across in, in our daily living. So what would you consider the good protein sources? Well, obviously, we look towards our meat, fish, eggs, dairy. And as you mentioned about the building blocks, they come complete. They are called the complete sources of protein. Whereas perhaps our vegetables, vegetable proteins, are not as complete or incomplete in terms of the availability of those amino acids. But vegetables come with fiber, so they have a higher carb carbohydrate content. And but protein, sorry. And you also have to eat a lot more and a lot of varied um, vegetable protein in order to get all the different amino acids that you need that's right and that's why our carnivore friends are okay obviously with eating just meat and salt 
they say that they still have a complete range of you know proteins available to them but this like in any um, community the protein is or how much what sources is another hotly debated topic amongst the keto gurus so we're not going to go into this too much but just know that how much protein is really one of these contentious issues so what we'll do is we'll give you the 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 cliff note version so i'd I'd just like to some of add in there that some people consider they they don't know they haven't looked into the keto way of eating but they assume that it's a high protein way of eating whereas in fact the quantity of protein actually doesn't change that much it's the the difference between the carbs and the fat that's the difference so generally we're eating the same amount of protein and now i know you're going to go on to explain the different amounts of protein but we we do need to be careful that we're not under eating it as well but that gets us to our recommended daily allowances and currently many of the eat well guides or the standard um, plate plate guides have a recommended daily allowance at 0.8 grams per kilogram but our keto um, our keto gurus range from at the lower end about one gram per, per kilo um, and that's Ron Rosedale to the higher end Ted Naiman at 2.2 grams but Finney and Volick will say that a moderate protein is about 1.5 to 1.7 grams per kilo what they're talking about is it's not your whole body weight it's just your lean mass to to keep to your muscle mass so you need to be able to determine what that is yeah and also it's the lean body mass that you would like to be at rather than that where you are now so current yes so somewhere in between, at the moderate range, Steve Finney and Jeff Follick say it's 1.5 to 1.7 grams of your ideal body mass. So there is a reference chart in the show notes, and that will give you an, an understanding of how much that will be. So for the purposes of this discussion, um, we'll take a look at, at me. And for, for me and my body at 1.5 grams of my ideal lean mass, I should be eating anywhere between 84 to 120 grams of protein per day. That sounds so much. So on my plate, that would be three to four eggs for breakfast with cheese, a 130 gram piece of salmon with salad, and a slightly bigger um, piece of chicken and some more veg for dinner. But... 100 grams or 3.5 ounces of chicken breast is roughly about 28 grams of protein. So whatever the portion is of your protein piece, just know that roughly it's around 30% protein. Mm. So as with the example that we've given, a um, one cup of cheese, so that's roughly about 8 ounces, 240 grams is again 30%. So it's, it's 28 grams of protein. So, as you've rightly said, Jackie, we've typically under-eaten protein because what we've done is over-eaten on the healthy whole grains. Yeah. And you know, that's really what we've done. So let's get to perhaps the most controversial topic, and that's about fat. So, you know, this is really challenging, as you mentioned, about the calories in, calories out, the Chico way of thinking, because we've been really honed into us certainly a woman of the 70s and 80s growing up that eating fat is going to make me fat i'm going to have a heart attack jackie with all that well delicious yeah. fat <laughs> i never gave it up at all i always stuck with it but there you go but i felt guilty i felt guilty that i was eating the skin of the chicken and this um the fatty bits of the lamb chops and lots of butter Right, so getting back on track. Why is fat yeah, why is fat important? So fats are important because we're replacing the carbohydrates with fats as we switch to our main body metabolism. 
from burning the glucose to the fat. So our body needs to burn a fuel source. And that could, what we don't want it to burn is we don't want it to burn the protein. So therefore it has to burn the carbohydrates or the fats. So what we need it to do is to burn the fats in order to um, not have so much sugar in our system. And there's a difference between good fats and bad fats. So good fats are, again, I think this is what blows people's minds sometimes, are the ones that we've been told are not healthy. So the good fats are the animal sources of fats like lard and tallow and um, suet and butter. We know about avocado oil and olive oil are good for us. So some of the nut oils, uh, both um, saturated and unsaturated fats, also coconut oil. But what we're not, what we've been told is that the ones that are healthy for us are actually the ones that are quite toxic. So processed and vegetable oils like canola and trans fats are bad. And these types of oils harm the body by increasing oxidative stress and causing stress in the body and inflammation. And they're very toxic, very toxic. But what we've forgotten about is the fact that we need fats. We need fats because our brain is made out of fat and particularly hormones as well. So when we reduce our fat intake as we've done, that's been really bad for our hormone health and our brain health. And heart health. Definitely. Definitely. So by this stage, we have reduced our carbohydrates, our Prius has kicked in, so we've switched over our fuel source from running on glucose to fat, and we're in this nutritional state of ketosis. A byproduct of the fat metabolism is a ketone body, and we can measure or we we can measure how much of these ketones we have, and that's on your breath and in your blood. So there's a way that we can obviously track how well we are going with our energy supplies of ketones. So many of our organs actually run better or they're engineered to run better on ketones. And this is particularly our brain as well as our heart becomes more efficient when it runs on ketone bodies. It's a more efficient fuel. So how do we get started, Jackie? Some people like tracking. Um, I'm not terribly good at it, but you can start by using a, a tracking app like MyFitnessPal or Chronometer or Carb Manager. And for some people, it helps them stay accountable or you can just write things down as you go. But if you want to track your food, knowing how much you want to eat, there are um, a variety of macro calculators out there that can guide you on how many grams or percentages. Again, we don't want to be prescriptive in this. You need to tailor your requirements to your lifestyle. And I'd just like to add that, you know, you quite often they're, they're quite low on calories, those macro calculators. And I think I wouldn't keep to the calories as much as um, keeping to the protein and the lower carbs. That's right. So some of them are still running, obviously, you know, the input of your data, they will calculate a caloric value, whereas keeping to the grams or the percentages of your day, it doesn't, you know, it's not as contained or prescriptive as that. But the main thing that you get started with is obviously not eating your pasta, potatoes, rice, bread, sweets or lollies, bananas, particularly some fruits sugary drinks like cola yeah i mean i tell my clients is don't drink your calories so you don't want to have sugary sweet drinks not when you're wanting to you're stopping eating those external sources of glucose your body you want to be able to switch that to your body to be creating your internal glucose from your fat yeah but people are going to be going Jackie, I can't eat pasta, potato or rice or bread. You know, what am I going to eat? Because that's been what I've been eating for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And not only that, it's the things that we love to eat. I mean, for me, spaghetti and potatoes were 
were a huge thing to give up at the time. But you do get used to it. So there are some substitutions that you can use. So pasta is replaced by zoodles or making courgette noodles and or zucchini. Uh, potatoes can be replaced by cauliflower or swede or radish or kohlrabi and what's the other one uh, celeriac I don't actually like that it's, there's something about that, that I don't like but a lot of people use make celeriac chips and if you're lowering your carbs rather than trying to get into a state of ketosis then sweet potato makes a good replacement rice can be made by um blitzing cauliflower and then just stir frying it or have you know you can have it under chili con carne although my chili con carne nowadays doesn't have any beans in it or uh, bolognese sauce that's what I'll have under some bolognese sauce then there's shirataki noodles so they're um, a translucent gelatinous traditional Japanese noodle made from konjac yam and you can find these in the supermarket as miracle noodles. And they're great for making Alaska or a Pad Thai recipe. They also come in rice and rice bits, I guess that is, isn't it? Rice-like um, substitute and lasagna sheets as well. And then we've got bread recipes that can be cloud bread or soul bread. Um, or there's the diet doctor recipe from flax meal and and what you'll find is as you start replacing the foods that we know and love and that are very um, sort of a loving food we like to think of it as a love food don't we and that we feel that we need as you start to change the way you're eating you find that you don't need them so much because they're quite addictive foods because of the sugar aspect of it when I've actually like you said about the courgettes sort of spiralizing the courgettes um, what we understand is we're replacing the the pasta but that's only just the vehicle for the delicious sauce you know the pasta was just a vehicle for the the creamy alfredo or the bolognese or you know the potato was you know just another way of mopping up the meat sauce of your of your stew or the rice that was the accompaniment for your like for your stir fry or your chili con carne. So it really then shifts how or what we have on our plate to that protein source. So yeah, let's just refocus what's on our plate and how much you know preference we give to the the pasta or the potato. Yeah, and I just simply replaced the potatoes or that portion of a meal. With just another vegetable. I just added in another vegetable. So what does a typical day look for you? So for me, I find that I'm not usually hungry in the morning. Um, if I am, it will be usually scrambled eggs. Uh, lunch is often a salad with, again, it could be sardines, tuna, eggs. Some Quite often it will be leftovers something left over from the night before that might be pork belly fried over with a salad and then in the evening it's usually some meat with some green vegetables we like to keep it really simple how about for mm. you and yeah the the first meal of the day for me is normally i have a coffee with cream so when i was actually doing breakfast when i first started out it was bacon and eggs. I used to make a big batch of nut granola with some Greek yogurt and some berries. I have made like little egg cup muffins, those sorts yeah. of things, egg bites, those sorts of things. And you can even have leftovers. It really depends whether you are starting your, your day with a breakfast or you're moving straight into a second a second. I, I think... So my... Sorry. I think that we need to get more into the continental breakfast uh, mentality of the hams and the cheeses and, and things like that as f being a food rather than a sweet, something sweet. Definitely. So that first meal was a bigger meal and then I could obviously have a smaller meal for a lunch and then a, a dinner or a supper. And the same as you, on my plate, it was basically a protein, so a meat, a fish, 
with either some vegetables. And I have experimented with going carnivore as well, so that was was an interesting an interesting time as well, just having lots of lots of protein fatty proteins. But do you snack? What's is snacking okay? I tend I have learnt not to snack now. I used to my only snacking used to be I was never a great snacker, so my only snacking used to be um tea and biscuits in the afternoon. And over time I just usually don't have anything. But if I did, it would be something like some nuts and I, I limit those because they're very Moorish and you could keep going. It could be you could have some yogurt or unsweetened Greek yogurt or sometimes I try and keep it right after my um, lunch if I'm going to have it is a square of dark chocolate at least 85% you could have some celery with cream cheese you can make some nut or seed crackers and have that with pate or again some cream cheese I know you like it with butter and Vegemite <laughs> you can make you know sometimes if I'm if I'm feeling hungry and Dr Rob Cyrus says that snacking is always an emotional event so quite often it's not because we're hungry it's that wanting to eat that and and being used to eating at that time that we want so if I'm hungry it might be cheese or some ham something like that which is a you know proper food yeah I tend to think about if I'm going to have an extra meal so I I haven't eaten enough at my main meal and or I'm going to have a second part of my meal, which is still part of that overall sort of allocation of my day. For example, um, for for supper last night, I had some pork belly, but I wanted a bowl of the Greek yogurt being um, here in Bangkok. Uh, it's a Western food, which is very expensive, so I tend to make, make my own Greek yogurt. So I include that as part of my meal. So it's not necessarily a snack, it's a second a second part of the meal so and you're right the uh, the nut the nut and seed crackers are just a vehicle for the extra fat and the the little slice the little slather of um, vegemite so um yeah that, that salty umami crunch yeah. and i now won't eat after supper once my meal is finished i'll have my meal and then i might have the chocolate or some peanut butter or something some cream Whatever it is that I'm having afterwards, I will have it all at the same time. And then once that's finished, which is usually usually around 7.30 in the evening, I then won't eat until the next day. So I've definitely cut mm. out snacking in the, in the evening. Yeah, you definitely want to cut that off by a certain period of time to close your eating window. But knowing that, you know, our emotions do play a big role in what we eat, when we eat, how we eat, we're not all perfect people. And I think you know, we don't want to create an expectation that you are 100% committed to this particular lifestyle. And there will be times when you go off track or off plan. Yeah. So what can we do to, to get back on track or on plan? I'm definitely not a perfect keto person. I know there's people out there that say they are. Maybe they are. I don't know. I'm definitely not one of those. I like to use this way of living for probably 90 to 95% of the time so that when I do come off, I I feel okay about that because I am doing it for most of the time, but it's not so strict that I can't have something should I choose to. So quite often the things when we want to eat off plan is because of something that's happening. It might be we're going out to a birthday party or going on holiday, those sorts of things. So what I tend to do, and I think this comes with a huge mindset shift, is that I'm not on diet. It just becomes I'm eating something, like you said, off plan. And so therefore, I'm thinking about it in advance. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to allow myself. And it is that for that part of the day. That doesn't mean to say that um, I'm going out this evening uh, to so-and-so's birthday party. I know there's going to be cake there and I want some cake. It doesn't mean I'm going to be bad all day. 
I'm just maybe have and while I'm there I will probably be good and I might just have the cake and, I, and then again when I'm there I might not and then the next day is straight back to this way of eating so it's very limited and because I'm not on diet uh, I'm not tempted to say oh well I broke the diet so I'm going to give up now it just becomes part of the plan that's really good because what you're trying to do is not be judgmental you know, you're empowering yourself by giving you the choice and permission to, if you want the birthday cake, if you want that glass of wine, I know at Christmas time you have your roast potatoes, you have your advocate and lemonade, that's fine because it's... And my Christmas pudding. One, one day, and your Christmas pudding. Yeah. So there are certain things that we, we don't want to be completely restrictive and limiting that we are giving ourselves the choice to have should we wish to do that. The thing that um, last year when I was in the UK and I was travelling a lot, I certainly gave myself when I was in Belgium, I had a waffle mm. and chocolate. That's a beer. And beer. <laughs> so but I can only have that. I can only have a Belgian wash, waffle in Belgium. You know, I, I gave myself some conditions. When I was in Paris, I could have a croissant. I don't want to have croissants from from Waitrose or from, you know, from, you know, no, no. You know, there were certain things that if I was going to have, then it's it's contextual. But I think it's really important that we don't judge ourselves. We don't label it as good or bad because that becomes an emotional event, particularly when we reflect on it. It's, I was really bad, Jackie. I mean, it's like the confessional, forgive me, Jackie. I was, you know, I've been a sinner. That then goes into a lot of that emotion that comes with that. But there is some reflections that we can think about that, particularly if we've had an emotionally stressful time from a lack of sleep, that there's work pressures, lockdown, you know, there's social situations for me that comes with alcohol that I will obviously go off plan. But in order to get back on plan, you can just continue with the next meal or the next day to get back on back on track. There are strategies to obviously to preemptive when if you're going out to restaurants, look at the menu, see if you can make a decision before you go. If you are going to those big social situations like Christmas or our across-the-pond cousins Thanksgiving, why not have a bigger meal before you go of bacon and eggs so you're actually feeling fuller? If you're having a carby plate, eat the potatoes last. So eat your carbohydrates last. Eat the fatty protein first, and that may well restrict how much um, how much carbohydrate you have. But it is a reflective exercise to understand what those emotional triggers are for mm. you. And I think you use the, you know, the head hunger or the the, the tummy hunger. Is that head right? hunger, emotional head hunger, hunger, yeah. Hunger, head yeah, hunger. To to find out what that is. Yeah. But going off plan shouldn't be a a real sentence for you. You know, in for a penny, in for a pound, as my mother would say. So um, yeah, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. So I guess it comes down to how you want to start this way of eating, whether you want a soft or a hard start. So do you want to talk about that? And this really gets back to your your personality type. So some people need to go cold turkey or you're going to be those more contemplative types that I need to have a softer approach. If you want to guaranteed the hard start and go cold turkey, you can then at the start of the day, not eat any sugars. By that I mean don't be eating your potatoes, rice, pasta, breads. And that will guarantee that you're going to be consuming less than 20 grams of carbohydrates a day. If you're the more contemplative types, you can start to cut out those added sugars. So by that I mean not putting the white sugar, the glucose, into your, your coffees have a look at the labels and not have those processed carbohydrates. And that may well mean that you're reducing your previously daily intake of carbohydrate, which could be up to 300 grams. You're going to start to limit that to 100, lowering that down to 50 grams, and eventually you may feel more comfortable at the lower threshold. 
And this really depends on how metabolically deranged you are and at what level your carbohydrate tolerance is. If you want to be staying at that 50 grams or you need to be restricting it to lower to 20 grams of carbohydrates. So while you're cutting out your potato, rice, pasta and bread, make sure you are upping your fat. Your increasing your fat will make you feel fuller for longer. So that's the oily dressings on your salads, that's adding butter to your steamed veggies, and that's making sure that you have those fattier cuts of meat. Mm -hmm. So this really means that we want you to think about eating real food that's fresh, local, and seasonal. That's those above ground leafy green vegetables, and sometimes the orange vegetables, such as the sweet potato, is okay, but in limited quantities. So that's your carrot, your sweet potato, and your pumpkin. Making sure that you have those complete sources of protein, so that's any cuts of meat, organ meat, fish, game, and dairy, as well as nuts. But making sure that they are good quality nuts, like walnuts, pecans, macadamias. So why don't you have a look in your pantry and making sure that you're going to be stocking up on your meats, veggies, eggs, cheese, cream. So, and that's making sure that we aren't consuming anything white. So that's your potato, rice, bread, and that's the below ground vegetables particularly. So that's also looking at those other things that you might be thinking, well, what about quinoa? Mm, No, when we're looking at certain types of grains, couscous, polentas, anything that's refined, processed, that's bought at the supermarket and has a barcode, So we also need to take care of pulses and legumes, such as the lentils and beans. Mm -hmm. And you'll often hear about exogenous ketones, and they're sold to people as a faster way to get into ketosis. However, unless you've got a specific uh, medical condition that you really need to have high ketones, such as Alzheimer's or cancers, what else would you say? Need a high ketone level. Uh, Epilepsy, perhaps. So some sort of neurological conditions. But the fact that you don't need to be drinking your ketones, particularly when, you know, your liver is there and it's going to be doing all the work for you. And when we're consuming these external exogenous ketones, we're not actually making them ourselves. and, And the goal that we're trying to achieve is to make them ourselves. That's right. And for free. So... You mentioned some of the the benefits, obviously, ketones have. So you mentioned about like the Alzheimer's and the certain types of cancers and neurological conditions. But we know that there are other benefits in terms of going low carbon for keto. And for you and for me, we have benefited quite greatly because of the weight loss. But there are other conditions that this way of eating has. Yeah, so we say many people come to the keto way of eating for weight loss, but they stay for the health benefits. And I think that's that's a great motivator. It's definitely a motivator for me. So you do see quite often weight loss and it doesn't always happen immediately. Sometimes for some people it takes a while. But the other benefits are it's helping with diabetes and pre-diabetic conditions. They can be put into remission. Epilepsy, of course, and quite often... Um, In the past, people have been told to use this way of eating for children with epilepsy. But, you know, what's the difference if if we're a child or an adult? It still works the same way. Um, What other ones? We've got um, PCOS, uh, some cancers. I wouldn't say all cancers. There's a lot of autoimmune disorders and other chronic inflammatory conditions, including arthritis. To name but a few, and I know for me, I've noticed with migraines, I've helped. So there's all sorts of things people talk about, their skin being better, psoriasis clearing up. I I think mood mood, uh, and brain health are definitely affected, so people notice that they're not as depressed. I know for me, I used to be quite angry at times, quite often actually. I think now I think about it and I hardly ever get angry now. What other conditions, what other things have you noticed or heard about? I certainly think you're right on the inflammatory conditions and that's really part of my motivation since my motorcycle accident is obviously the pain management. 
So the chronic inflammation that comes with having these injuries and managing managing that, the rehabilitation. So definitely pain disorders is, is another one. The issue is obviously we've changed our way of eating and you know the fact that we might be wanting to proselytize out to the community, shout it from the rooftops, this sort of thing. We may well come up against well-meaning friends and family, GPs, other health professionals are going to say, but what about those carbohydrates? You need that for your brain health. What are we going to do, Jackie, when our well-meaning family and friends think that we've absolutely gone bonkers? Yeah. And you're eating that. all that fat and all that animal fat, saturated fat. You're going to kill yourself. Well, I tell people now to tell people that they're eating a modified Mediterranean diet because we've been told Mediterranean diet is good for us. So we're eating a modified diet. We're just not eating the, the pasta and the potatoes. I think that's a great thing. And I think there's also, I don't know if people, our listeners have, you know, about Fight Club and the first rule of Fight Club is always not to talk about <laughs> Fight Club. So there is a way that Jackie's come up with the modified Mediterranean diet. And that really sings true that we have this Mediterranean way of eating, but we've slightly modified it. So I think that there's a great thing about you know not half truths we're not necessarily relying but just be mindful that people will be concerned about you know the fact that we're not eating those heart healthy whole grains and obviously there's the starchy carbohydrates but there's also that we need to think about in as we transition so when we're starting out and we're switching over our fuel sources from from glucose to fat, there is an, a transition period. This will be not as necessarily straightforward, but there is a little few hurdles that we need to get your body to, to adapt to. And as you're actually going through an actual withdrawal of carbohydrates, that you may be feeling a little low in energy, that your hunger may increase, you may feel a little bit tired and sleepy, and that's really just your body adapting from one fuel source to another. We know that this has a start date and an end date. It's just a few days and it won't last. Mm. So this keto flu, it's called, is about making sure that you keep your salts up, so your sodium, magnesium, and keep hydrated, and that the actual full process may well take anywhere between four and six weeks. There are some noticeable sort of changes too. Perhaps as you're burning your fat for fuel, that your ketones will appear on your breath. So it may feel like that your mouth is very dry and there is a smell of like a juicy fruit. Um, that's just the acetone. You may also come out and you might notice that when you actually go to the loo as well. But that's all normal. It's actually a very positive sign. And it's just an adaption and it just lasts a few yeah, days. It's where our body's making, it hasn't made ketones for so long and now it is making the ketones and it doesn't know how many to make. So it's making too many. And once your body gets used to it, it, it sort of all calms down. And that's right. So mostly that appears on your breath, in your, in, when you pee and obviously in your blood. So the, the breath and the pee urine ketones will start to transition to, to blood. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we've covered quite a lot there for people to get started with. And we've posted various links and resources in the show notes for this episode. So just a reminder, it's fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero zero two. If you're not yet a member of the Fabulously Keto Facebook group, then click the link in the show notes or search for Fabulously Keto in groups on Facebook. And then another time when it comes to voting, you can vote as well. If you enjoyed the podcast, why not help me make more episodes with some financial help? You can help with as little as a pound per month using the link in the show notes. Or if you'd like to gain some extra benefits, then go to patreon.com forward slash Fabulously Keto. And for the show notes, you can go to fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast 
forward slash one three four. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.